0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre sales to select Campus miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears.
1: Carol G., Juan Gabriel, Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean
0: apart from impeccable style, chart topping canciones, and drama?
1: the
2: volume boxing with chris mannix is presented by fanduel sportsbook there is no better place to make every moment more than with fanduel it's got great odds and markets for major league baseball nba nhl pga tour and so much more and of course boxing which is why you're listening to this. It is awesome with new and existing user promotions. It is America's number one sportsbook. It's safe and secure. You get your winnings fast. It's fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay, and you can discover the most popular SGPs each day right when you log in. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code BOXING so that they know that I sent you. Keith Idek is back, senior writer over at BoxingScene.com. He was just at the Archer Better Joe Smith press conference. That fight uh, can be seen on Saturday at the theater at Madison Square Garden and on ESPN. And Keith, you will be pleased to know that I will be there for that fight. I'm getting on the Amtrak on Friday and I am going to New York City for Better Smith.
3: Wow. So what, what happens if it goes to seven games? That's not going to affect you in any way?
2: No, I'm if if Celtics Warriors go seven, I'm going to fly to San Francisco on Sunday morning.
3: Ah, look at you. This is a this is two live non-disowned boxing events that I'm going to see Chris Mannix at in less than a month. It is a miracle. It,
2: That's right. I was at Tank Davis, Roley Romero, Archer Better BF, Joe Smith. Who knows? Maybe I'll show up at like a club show in South Florida at some point. Just popping in left and right, ready to go. Maybe I'll go out to California and see Chop Chop Corley back in action. I think he's like 73 and getting ready to fight at Welterweight. Devin Alexander,
3: Alexander, I think. It's like it's uh, 2004, (laughs) you know.
2: We somebody's gonna stop Chop Chop Corley from fighting. Like that yeah, just has crazy. to stop. I don't care. I don't care if he's fighting Devin Alexander. He needs to stop fighting. Um. All right. Lot to get into with you, Keith, and we are gonna talk about Better BF Smith, which is a fantastic fight. Um. You know, must see TV for as long as it lasts. But I want to look back to a couple of fights we saw this past weekend. Uh, in New York City, you had Edgar Berlanga winning a decision. Against Romer and Gulo. Uh, He won decisively on the scorecards, but it was uh, a fourth straight opponent that went the distance with Edgar Berlanga, who has not looked like the power punching potential star that we saw for his first 16 fights uh, when he picked up all those first round knockouts. What did you think of Berlanga's performance, which included? A Mike Tyson-esque bite of the shoulder of Roma Romero, uh, Roma Regulo, that uh, could have gotten him disqualified if the referee had seen it the, the way it, uh, it transpired.
3: Yeah, and I think the only reason he wasn't admonished during the fight, Chris, was because uh, Ricky Gonzalez, the referee, did not see him do it. Where he was positioned, he was trying to separate them, and he didn't see Berlanga try to bite him, uh, or he would have... I'm assuming he would have taken a point away from him at that point. I mean, how could you not, really? It's such a rare occurrence. Uh, I think that's going to draw a suspension and or a fine, uh, probably a suspension and a fine uh, from the New York State Athletic Commission, and rightfully so. So Berlanga won't be able to fight in New York probably for about six months if I had to guess. Um, Mm. The performance itself, I I thought the fight was closer than they had it on the scorecards. Chris, they had it, I think it was – 99-91 Ninety nine, ninety one on two scorecards and ninety nine, ninety two 92 on the other. I thought it was a closer fight than that. I had it 96-94 for Belanga at ringside. You know, sometimes at ringside, you get a different look than you get on television. Maybe it was a little wider on TV, but uh, I didn't think that he won, but I wasn't all that surprised that he didn't knock out Alexis Angulo because Angulo... While he's been stopped once by David Benavidez, it wasn't a clean knockout. The fight was stopped after it was a very one sided fight that was stopped after the 10th round. It wasn't a situation where he got blasted out of there by Benavidez or, you know, or knocked down several times or anything. So he's a pretty durable guy. So I'm not really surprised that he went the distance. And he's a pretty good, even though he's 38 years old, he's a pretty big puncher. Um, So I think Berlanga had to be careful with him to some extent. He worked with a new trainer for the first time and Juan de Leon. I think his conditioning was better because he seemed to be more active in the later rounds and more willing to, uh, to to box in the later rounds than he was against Steve Rolls, who's a much lesser puncher. And I think a lot of the criticism from the Rolls fight is that he didn't try to get Steve Rolls out of there in the later rounds. I think he had a, a, little, more, a little better conditioning in this fight. Um, I, what I would say, Chris, about Berlanga is I think because he knocked out his first 16 opponents in the first round, there may be some unrealistic expectations attached to his name. And that's, that's going to come when you, when you have a lot of hype, I mean, that's kind of what happens. So um, while he's not as good as maybe people were trying to make him out to be when he knocked out 16 guys in the first round in a row, he's, he's not as bad maybe as people are making it seem to be at this point either.
2: Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, you know because you know now the tide is completely turned against him people are saying oh well you can't knock out Steve Rolls you go the distance with Angulo um you know maybe you're not this heavily hyped prospect or not as good as this heavily hyped prospect that was coming up the ranks when the reality is he's winning these fights by wide decisions um you know he beats up Steve Rolls he does get knocked down against Coseras two fights earlier but mm-hmm. he got up to win that uh, fight rather convincingly so it's not like he's in danger of losing many of these fights, but maybe he's not, maybe he's not the kind of puncher we thought he was going to be. Maybe we, maybe we kind of thought he was going to be a Benavidez like puncher or a better like puncher in his weight class. Uh, I'm not sure he's, he's that or ever going to be that. And I guess my, my take on the future of Berlang is like, they, they talk a lot about the uh, Jesse Hart fight. It's been discussed for over a year I really like that fight for Berlang. It's kind of a sink or swim type of fight. I mean, Jesse Hart's only lost at the highest level. Zerto Ramirez, Joe Smith, um, he's not great by any stretch, but if Jesse Hart can make 168, um, I'd make that fight and see what Berlang has got. Uh, what do you think of uh, a fight with uh, Jesse Hart?
3: I know that's a fight that Top Rank is very interested in making. They wanted to make it for this past Saturday night. They wanted to make it for March 19th. I mean, they've been trying to make that fight for a while. Uh, top rank used to be Jesse Hart's promoter of course uh, Bob Arum has an affection for Jesse Hart because he's Cyclone Hart's son and um you know they work with him for a long time and his you know his losses are respectable losses to two points losses to to Gilberto Ramirez and uh, and to Joe Smith who later became the WBO light heavyweight champion so there's no shame in the losses on Jesse Hart's record I you know Jesse Hart's a back end of the uh top 15 type of contender probably and if you're Edgar Berlanga, and you can't beat Jesse Hart. Well, then, where are you going, really? I mean, so that, that's a reasonable test for him to take. I've been led to believe that that will not be the next fight for Edgar Berlanga, although it's a fight that I know Top Rank wants. Uh, we'll have to see how it plays out here over the next few months because he won't fight until December at the earliest. Because, as I mentioned earlier, Chris, he's probably going to be suspended by the New York State Athletic Commission for six months. Uh, he could, you know, potentially fight in Puerto Rico maybe in December. Uh, but maybe he doesn't fight until the beginning of 2023. So uh, you, know, you want to see him take these incremental steps up in opponents, but, you know, at, at this point, Edgar Berlanga is, I, I guess, you know, a back end of the top 15 type of contender, I guess. I mean, he's not certainly not David Benavidez uh, or, or a fighter anywhere near on that level. And I think, his, you know, his, his handlers realize that and they want to be careful in moving him forward. Um You know, there's there's some uh, push and pull, I guess, or or a tug of war, so to speak, with top rank in terms of how quickly they step him up to the level of opponents that top rank wants to see him fight. And I think that's what we'll see play out over the next few months.
2: Yeah, I think it's time. Um, And, like, you're not putting him in with David Benavides. You're putting him in with Jesse Hart. Like, Mm -hmm. and Jesse Hart is a good fighter, but not some super power puncher. Um, He's he's awkward. uh, But, like, I... I think that's the fight where we see if Berlanga is ready for top level opponents. And at some point, he's going to have to face a Jesse Hart. Uh, whether it's next fight, the fight after that, he's got to get in the ring with somebody, either Hart or of that ilk. So whoever's against it, Berlanga, his manager, Keith Conley, his training team, I understand maybe you want to get a second fight with your new trainer to continue to develop chemistry with him. But um, it's time for Edgar Berlanga to step up and uh, and take a legitimate fight or legitimate top 15, top 20. Uh, type uh, of opponent. Uh, also on Saturday, Keith, we had Jaime Munguia uh, beating up on the latest overmatched opponent that has been f- put in front of uh, Jaime Munguia. Jimmy Kelly uh, fought well for four rounds. Uh, kind of, I thought he kind of confused Ber- uh, Berlanga. I thought he kind of confused Munguia, tagged him a few times, but then Munguia turned on the Jets in the fifth round, knocked Jimmy Kelly down uh, three times, and eventually the fight was waved off. I don't even want to talk about the fight itself, Keith, because it was what it was. But, you know, look, is out there now kind of being more proactive about calling out people. He called out Jamal Charlo. We both know that was a fight that was discussed and even agreed to financially before network uh, issues, you know, threw that in the garbage can. Um, you know, are, 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 how confident are you we're going to see Jaime Mongia in with a top-level guy? Because my biggest fear, Keith, is that Mongia can't get a Charlo fight. He moves up to 168. Then we start this process all over again of him getting adjusted to a new weight with a bunch of, you know, inferior opponents. And it's like another two years before we even get close to a Jaime Munguia uh, fight against the top guy at super middleweight. So how do you feel about Munguia taking on a top guy in his next fight?
3: Well, I hope he's serious about wanting to fight a top middleweight in his next fight, Chris, but I don't have a ton of confidence in it in the sense that, you know, he had opportunities to fight for world titles multiple times And for one reason or another, whoever you want to blame, whether you want to blame Golden Boy Promotions or Zan for boxing or Jaime Munguia himself or anyone else who's involved in his career, because there are a lot of people uh, chirping in his ear, whoever you want to blame, the bottom line is he could have fought Demetrius Andrade for the WBO title. He could have fought Jamal Charlo for the WBC title. He could have fought uh, Janabek, Emily, and whatever his last name is. Let's just call him Janabek. They could call
2: him Janabek. Yeah.
3: he could have fought him for the vacant WBO title once Demetrius Andre moved up to fight Zach Parker. He could have fought Carlos Adamas in a WBC eliminator, which of course is a fight that could have been skipped if he just would have fought Jamal Charlo to begin with. That's a lot of opportunities to pass up. Now, he, his, he and his team can blame whoever they want for for the, these fights falling apart, but they are the common denominator in all of these instances when he could have fought either for world titles or in world world title eliminators at 160 pounds so if he really wants the fights and really wants to make these fights happen it's incumbent on him to make these fights happen next because really what is the point of continually fighting guys uh you know like jimmy kelly and even if he would have fought shane mosley jr who's you know done some decent things in recent years and everything and he's obviously he's shane mosley's son he's a bit of a name and he has shown some improvement is that a big fight is that something that he should be aspiring to do at, at, at a catch weight between 160 and 168 I, I just want to see him. Look, the thing that I don't understand, Chris, is this is a guy who four years ago was willing to fight Gennady Golovkin. And if Bob Bennett, then the executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, did not step in and and turn down that fight and not allow them to make that fight, he would have fought Golovkin four years ago. So I don't, I have a hard time believing it's him specifically that wouldn't want it. I mean, he was ready to fight Golovkin long before Golovkin turned 40 years old. So why would he now not now I understand the Android, you know, we mention Android on this podcast oftentimes, Chris. I mean he's a he's a you know he's a six every so often. He's a six one southpaw and I understand why people don't want to fight him. But you don't want to fight Charlo either and you don't want to fight Carlos Adamas and you don't want to fight Janabek. I mean that's a lot of guys that you don't want to fight. Well who who do you want to fight? And
2: when yeah. I mean look he says look the Forget the eliminators. He could have had the Andre fight anytime in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Anytime, Andre was sitting up there saying, "I'll give him the shot." He was willing to take less money. Like he was willing to do whatever it took to get Jaime Munguia in the ring with him. That opportunity to fight for a middleweight title has been there waiting for him. Quite frankly, is still there waiting for him. I don't know what Andre is going to do next, uh, but technically he's still the WBO's uh, middleweight champion. Maybe he convinced the WBO to let him fight Munguia, um, and then the winner would have to fight uh Janabek. But like, there's opportunity out there to fight Demetrius Andrade. He messaged me after that last fight He said, look, I'm 34 years old. How old do Oscar De La Hoya and Eric Gomez need me to get before uh, they put Munguia in with me? And I-, I agree with them. Like, it's a fight. And by the way, Again, not to go down the Android rabbit hole, but, like, I might favor Munguia in that fight at this point. Munguia's really good. Like, he's become a really good fighter. He's a volume puncher. He's got a good chin. He's never going to be a great defensive fighter, but you don't really need to be when you are that good and that active offensively. So it's not like that's a fight where he would be overmatched in. I don't I don't understand it, all that. And, like, I mean, I lo- I love the idea of making a Charlo fight. You know, Munguia had the sound bite, stop hiding behind Al Heyman, though that didn't really make any sense since they made a deal financially for, for the fight. Um, I just, I, I don't know how it happens. Like, I, I don't see DAZN and Showtime reaching a deal that allows that fight to move forward. So I, I have, I don't know about you, but I don't have any confidence we'll see Monkey in with Jamal Charlo.
3: No, and that's unfortunate because it is a fight that I think people were interested in watching. It's not a, look, the bottom line is, whoever, again, whoever you want to blame, the way, the way it was explained to me is there was a deal in place and then, um, you know, Munguia's side came back and said, Hey, you know, we need to do a joint pay-per-view with the zone and the fight shouldn't be on pay-per-view no matter who's distributing it, whether it's Showtime, the zone top rank, it really makes no difference. That That is not a pay-per-view fight, but the money supposedly was there to put that fight on Showtime. So, you know, put it on Showtime, put it on the zone, whatever the case might be. Don't try to charge people. Mm-hmm. It, it's a good fight and it's an interesting fight it's not a fight that people should be asked to go in their pockets for $75 to watch. Uh, that doesn't stop right. them oftentimes, but uh, I, I hope it's a fight that can be made, but I don't have a lot of confidence in that, to be honest with you. So, so where does Munguia go? I mean, it's a great question, Chris, and it's a question that, if I'm him, I want that question answered because how long are you now? The one thing is he is a draw. I mean, you were there in Anaheim. The other he, he draws fans. Great crowd. He, he's an entertaining fighter, and and people have taken to him. And I know he does, uh, from what I've been led to believe, and you would be more privy to this than me, that he does pretty good numbers on the zone when he fights. I mean, he's he's an interesting guy. And um,
2: there's a but, reason, Keith. There's a reason they're paying him two million dollars. Yeah, like, that was his purse for the last fight. Like he's there's he, he does good numbers. That that's why like. I don't know how you get it done, but I don't blame either network that is involved with Munguia and Charlo for demanding to be involved because both networks have invested a lot of money right. in those respected fighters, and they want the payoff. So, you know, like my... It, it, it's an objective solution that will never happen, but, like, you make it a small pay-per-view where it's like $30 or $50 or something like that just to get it over the finish line because nobody wants to see Charlo against Seletsky. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see... uh you know, Munguia against 168-pound version of Jimmy Kelly. Like, you just don't want to see it. So, yeah. you know, I, I think boxing fans would be willing to go into their pockets to for a small amount just to get that fight over the finish line.
3: The problem, unfortunately, Chris, and I agree with you, if the, if there were a lower price point for pay-per-views in the United States, like, okay, when Errol Spence fights Terrence Crawford, and it looks like that's going to happen, fortunately for us, uh, later this year. Mm-hmm. Okay, charge 75 $80 for that. But if you, for some reason, need to make Jaime Munguia against Jamal Charlo a pay-per-view, well, make it thirty dollars or thirty-five dollars or what? You know, people might be more apt to go into their pocket for that type of money as opposed to seventy-five dollars or eighty dollars. Because it's just not worth that to to the American viewer, I don't think. So, uh, like in the UK, when you said when they're they're obviously well aware of the price points here in the United States, but fans in the UK, uh, you know, they're they're paying twenty pounds or twenty-five pounds. For what they consider the highest, anytime Anthony Joshua fights in the UK, obviously it's an enormous event, but they're still only paying, you know, 20 pounds, 25 pounds. They're not paying, you know, whatever the equivalent would be with the exchange rate for in uh, for, US dollars. They're not paying anywhere close to that for even what they consider the most marquee events. So the pay per view price points have just gotten so out of control in the United States, uh, there's no real turning back from it. And the way it's been explained to me by ex- experts in pay-per-view is, you know, if you start charging 25 or $30, you're kind of diminishing the product and saying it's a lesser event because this one's only worth $30 as opposed to the next one being worth 70. I, I don't know. I mean, that that's
2: what <laughs> fans can't realize that by looking at, looking at it. Like- right. Right. I mean, yeah. They won't pay. If like you charge 70,
3: they won't pay it or 75. They won't, they won't buy it anyway. So.
2: Yeah, I I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. that the, I, I have no confidence will happen. I, I have a feeling we're going to see Munguia against Shane Mosley Jr. at some point before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Charlo reschedules with Silecki at some point. Daniel Jacobs kind of lurking out there for both. Uh, Jacobs would fight either one of them and has the flexibility to do it. But, you know, Jacobs wants, you know, a million and a half, two million dollars to get back in the ring with either one of those guys. And I'm not sure that money is out there uh, for him. Uh, not, not, uh, Not on regular network television whether it's to zone or showtime.
3: And as it relates to Charlo and Selesky, I, 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 I've I been led to believe that that fight might not be re, be rescheduled until the fall, uh, early fall, right. but until the fall. So, um, so he, Jamal Charlo once a that, year
2: for Charlo again, once yeah, a year
3: in that case. Yeah. He would only fight one time this year. Um, that wasn't his plan, obviously, but, uh, right. but it looks like if he fights in the fall, yeah, this calendar year, he'll only fight once. It would be his first fight and potentially, 14 or 15 months by the time he gets into the ring with Selesky. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunate for a guy who's still in the prime of his career.
2: Yeah. Last five years, I think he's only fought once a year uh, or something along those lines. I know the pandemic played a lot, had a lot to do with that, but last year, one time this year, one time um, kind of wasting away some of these prime years uh, of his, of his career. All right, let's look ahead to the fight this weekend. Archer Beterbiev, Joe Smith, light heavyweight unification fight, three belts, on the line in this fight. Dimitri Beeble, of course, has the fourth piece of that light heavyweight crown. Uh, Better BF is a huge favorite, Keith. I don't know what the exact line is as we record this, but he's a massive favorite in this fight. It kind of, I know Better BF's great, and he's got the better resume than Joe Smith, topped by the win over uh, Vostick, but I think Joe Smith's got more, more than just a puncher's chance in a fight like this. I mean, what do you think of the odds of this fight, and what do you think Joe Smith's chances of winning are?
3: I think the odds are kind of ridiculous, to be honest with you, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I, I,
2: and it, by the way, sorry, sorry, just to interrupt you real quick. We had this exact same conversation before Joe Smith beat Jesse Hart. Remember, Joe yeah. Smith was like a four to one underdog no, I know. against and I Jesse said, Hart. Yeah. And I remember talking to you about this being like, well, are we missing something? Like, are we, is Joe Smith that bad that he can't beat Jesse Hart? I don't know that he can beat better BF, but like 10 to one or eight to one, whatever it is at this point, like he's better. He's got a better chance than that.
3: Yeah. You know, I remember speaking to you and others about that fight during fight week, Chris, back, I think it was January of 2020. I was like, if anyone should be a four to one favorite in this fight, it should be Joe Smith. But he was coming off kind of a lopsided loss to, um, uh, to Dmitry Bivol, who obviously has, you know, proven himself to be an elite level fighter. Uh, so maybe that had a little something to do with that, but I really thought he should have been a four to one favorite, not Jesse Hart. Now to be clear, uh, Artur Bedabriev ain't Jesse Hart. So <laughs> So I, I understand him being a favorite in the fight but it w- at one point earlier this week Chris and it depends on which sports book you're looking at you're right he was a I think the Caesars sports book had him as a 9 to 1 favorite uh be have, and I think FanDuel might have had him a, as an 11 to 1 favorite so you're you're getting to wacky territory for a guy who is was yeah. it's almost it's
2: almost malpractice not to bet on it like put some money on Joe it's, like it's, the guy's got a great chin and huge hands like a bunch like guys like that you don't bet you don't put those kind of odds on
3: he really does have a great chin and I, when I was talking to Joe DeGuardia his promoter the other day he said well obviously I can't bet on it because I'm involved in the event and I'll you know <laughs> I would go to jail or whatever the case might be I can't bet on it he said but I would bet set six figures on Joe Smith at, at nine to one. You know, he said it's absurd mm-hmm. that he's a nine to one uh, underdog. But, you know, however you phrase it, he's a nine to one favorite. I think I think Joe Smith is like plus 600 in that case or something like that. But point mm-hmm. being, the odds seem out of whack. Now, I understand why better be is his fa- favorite in the fight. I mean, he's 17 and always knocked out every opponent that he's fought. But he is 37 years old he has shown right and chris he has shown some vulnerability in these fights right i mean you guys you you did the fight the the zone did the fight right when he fought callum johnson he got knocked down. yeah. yeah uh so you saw that from ringside i mean he he got knocked down now he got up and knocked out callum johnson who's a huge puncher um but he has shown some vulnerability he he's prone to cuts not the best defensive fighter in the world not the fastest fighter in the world so he 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 is he should be a favorite in the fight. Um and, and he's a dangerous, dangerous guy himself. But would I be surprised at all, or would you be surprised at all if Joe Smith won Saturday night? I, I wouldn't, you know?
2: No, not even a little. Um <laughs> like I, I look, Joe it, Joe's ability to box in the later rounds is the one unknown in this fight. I you know, look better be have He's been outboxed early. Like, you go back to the Marcus Brown fight. Marcus Brown was having success in those first four or five rounds Till Better Behev, like, literally tasted blood and then just turned on the Jets and and went after him. Um, you know, he's, he's beatable. Like, he looks beatable. Vostik, who's an excellent fighter, was an excellent fighter, was having success until Better Behev wore him down. Joe Smith will have the best chin of anyone that Better Behev has faced up until this point. I mean, Joe Smith... Literally fought a fight with a broken jaw against Sullivan. Two, Herrera. like
3: two fights with a broken <laughs> like
2: jaw. Two, two fights. Sorry, you're right. Um, like he's tough, and I don't think he's going to get you know stopped by by better being. And the but the question going to be like, is Joe a good enough boxer to win a decision? I, I don't know. He's so awkward, and he he throws wildly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did outpoint Jesse Hart, and that was a great win for him. But. I don't know. I don't know if he can outbox Archer Betterbie, but I also don't know how Betterbie will be in like rounds 9 through 12 cuz he's never there. So, like th- this to me has it's not a coin flip fight, and I agree with you Betterbieb should be a favorite, but if I was placing odds, it would be like 2 to 1, 3 to 1 max, max for better BF. cuz that's how competitive I think this fight can potentially be.
3: Yeah, I agree with you on that, Chris. It's interesting because more recently Betterbiev has gone deeper into fights than he had previously in his career. And he has gotten some stoppages late. Uh, I think two stoppages in the 12th round over the last three or four years. And one in the 10th, I think the Adam Dynas fight was stopped in the 10th round, I believe. Um, and a lot of people were surprised that Dynas made it as far as he did. Um,
2: mm-hmm. So you're right. Two uh, Vostick was 10th round. Dynas was 10th round. Marcus Brown was ninth round. And uh, there was one in the. And when even uh, he fought, back to when Rico he fought, Cole, Cole, yeah, yeah, that went to, to the 12th, yeah, 12th round. Right? You're right. Yeah. Uh, right. but, yeah,
3: yeah. but he, you know, it's interesting what you said earlier, Chris, and that he can be outboxed because while the Vostik win is, to me, the best win of his career so far, he was losing that fight on two scorecards going into the 10th round when he knocked down Vostik three times and stopped him. He was behind pretty significantly, I think, on two of the cards. So, uh, so he can be outboxed a little bit. And, um, you know, I. <laughs> I favor Joe Smith early in the fight, in the earlier rounds of the fight. If it's going to be something that ends within six rounds, I would favor Joe Smith. I think the deeper it goes into the fight, it maybe fa- favors better Biev. um, You know, so the, I don't, I don't see it going the distance. But then, you know, just when you think you have it all figured out, Chris, that's what happens, right? Then, then it'll go twelve rounds, and there'll be some, you know, wacky scorecard submitted or whatever. And uh, you know, the judges, by the way, are Frank Lombardi, Steve Weisfeld. And um, well, I'm drawing a blank on. That. I was told at the press conference earlier who the judges yeah. were. Lombardi, unfortunately, is the one who submitted that 118-110 uh, scorecard in the Jackson uh Roly Romero fight. Ah, so have to keep an eye, yes. keep an eye on that a little bit. But um, keep an eye on. Frank. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna be left to the judges. I think one of them will stop the other, and I think it's gonna be a, a pretty good action fight. I think they'll have to be a little careful of each other and mindful of the other's power uh particularly early in the fight. But as Bob Aaron was joking uh, after the press conference earlier, he said that'll probably last one or two rounds and then it's bombs yeah. you know, bombs away basically.
2: Yeah, I I think, you know, Joe the way Joe fights, like, he's just gonna be throwing wild shots. Like mm-hmm. and, and if he connects, he can hurt he could hurt Betterbev. Uh better might hit him with something down the middle that just puts him out of there and he is just relentless. Like Vostick wasn't necessarily knocked out by one punch. He was worn down yeah. you know, during that fight. That's what happens with guys that fight Archer Betterbeev. They're just worn down by pressure and power punching. It's so tough to stay with him uh, for 12 rounds. Nobody's done it, of course, at this point. But Joe Smith might be the guy and... I think odds makers are missing this and just keep missing Joe Smith stuff. Like they (laughs) they keep betting against him. It's like, you you know,
3: it's it's funny you say that Chris, because when he, you know, before Joe Smith had fought anyone that was a ranked contender or anything, he was a, you know, an unknown guy from long Island. And the first crack that he got was against Andrew Fonfara, If you remember back in June, 2016, Mm -hmm. and there were people going crazy on Al, you know, complaining and criticizing Al Heyman for even making that fight. And Fonfara opened as a 24 to one favorite against Joe Smith and Joe Smith knocked him out in the first round. And then obviously in his next fight knocked out Bernard Hopkins and his career completely changed after that. But I mean, he was a 20, 24 to one favorite fanfare wasn't got knocked out in the first round. So Joe Smith has been down this road before where people didn't believe in him and obviously prove them wrong. Now this might be besides Bivol because I believe Bivol also opened as a 25 to one favorite, but you know, it's right up there on, on par with the Bivol fight in that better be of as an elite level light heavyweight as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a great fight. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it and then we'll see what happens after that. I mean, I would say this after saying that Joe Smith is consistently disrespected by odds makers I would make the odds in a Joe Smith Bivol rematch, like a million to one in favor of Bivol. I don't think Joe Smith can ever beat Dimitri Bivol. Like yeah. I, I know he clipped him in the 10th round, but that's an, a horrible matchup for right. Joe Smith. Like just does not mesh style wise. Bivol too good a boxer and just stays away from jabbing outside. Good chin. Like it's, that's a terrible matchup. Better be I'd favor Bivol as well, but uh, I think it's a better fight um, stylistically because better be could wear him down, but yeah. Uh, who knows? We'll see that fight um, before the end of the year. I, I'm skeptical of that uh, as well. Um, all right, A couple things I want to finish off with. Do you have any thoughts on Anthony Joshua signing with the Zone? It feels like a more of a UK kind of story because the Zone obviously trying to get its footprint into the UK. Anthony Joshua huge in the UK. He'll be now be on the pay per view most likely uh, over there. I guess the one thing I thought as it pertains to a US audience, Keith, is you know now there's some synergy between the networks. Maybe it means we'll get Anthony Joshua back in the US sooner rather than later. Maybe you do some fights with him that are in the afternoon in the mm. U.S. I don't know. That's that's the only thing I think of because I'm still waiting for AJ to make his return to the U.S. as he's not been uh, fighting here. He's only fought here once and that was a disastrous result against Andy Ruiz. What did you think of the news that AJ signed a deal uh, with The Zone?
3: Well, I viewed it as a victory for DAZN because there was a lot of speculation that Sky Sports was going to, you know, continue working with Joshua in the UK. Uh, so it's a victory of sorts for Dezone in that way. It, now the the thing is, if he loses to Alexander Usyk convincingly again, well, then you have a diminished product, and you've committed a lot of resources to uh, to that diminished product. He's still a star. Because he's, you know, he's still, what is he, 32 years old? He's still relatively young, particularly for a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a valuable commodity still. But if he loses to Usyk and then Usyk is going to go fight Fury or whatever, uh, then he's he doesn't really have an opportunity to have a piece of the heavyweight title. Um, so then who does he fight? You know, I guess you could make a rematch with Dillian White. I guess that would be a fight that they could promote well in the UK. Um, but, you know, a move, uh, a, res- a respectable move for DAZN, certainly, to be able to re- uh to get in business with Anthony Joshua in the UK as well as in the U S. So uh, that's kind of way the the way that I looked at it, but I obviously this fight upcoming with uh, Usyk is extremely important, not just to Joshua's career, but to the zone business model because they will have invested a lot of money in Anthony Joshua.
2: Yeah. If he gets washed by, by Usyk you're right. Diminished product is, is the right way to frame it. I mean, he'd, he'd have to rebuild, you know, he, I don't even think he'd fight a Dillian white in his next fight out. He'd probably take two fights, to get his confidence back. And then maybe you go into a Dillian white fight in the middle of next year, but it would be, there would be some rebuilding of Anthony Joshua. If he got beat uh, the same way against Alexander Usyk, Uh, last thing was uh, Crawford Spence, you kind of touched on it. Like, looks like we're going to get it. It's been relatively radio silent, you know, Crawford sniping now at Jamal Charlo on social media. Um, He's expressed some optimism that a deal will get done, but we're into June now. I know there's no rush, uh, but uh, if we're talking October, November for a timetable, Uh, when should we be worried or should we be worried at some point that there could be trouble making Spence and Crawford before the end of the year?
3: Well, I don't think we're at any point where we need to be worried right now, Chris, because I've been told that the fight is probably going to be happened in November. Uh, so that's Mm -hmm. still quite a ways away. It's still five months, you know, depending on which part of November it is, uh, that's still four or five months away. So you have plenty of time to wrap this deal up and they're progressing in the talks. And there, there's a lot to to deal with here from the, you know, Crawford's never fought in the PBC event before. Um, you know, so there's a lot to deal with obviously. And it's a, it's a huge fight for both guys. Um, you know, from a boxing, from the perspective of the boxing business, you know, the biggest fight you could make in the United States outside of the heavyweight division for sure. And, um, you know, there's a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross. So it's going to take a little while to get it to the finish line, but um, they're getting there and both guys really do want the fight. They don't want to, you know, certainly Errol Spence doesn't want to waste any more time uh, fighting other, you know, making mandatory defenses or anything. He has three of the titles. Now he wants to have his chance to add the fourth one. Uh, so I think both guys are very committed to getting the fight Crawford. I, I believe Crawford's going to be 35 years old in September so he doesn't want to continue waiting. He, you know, he knows that it's it's now or never for him to get this fight done. So um, he will be coming off whenever they do fight, whether it's October or November, or even if it takes longer than that, for some reason, he's going to be coming off a pretty long layoff uh, Crawford uh, by the time he fights, it'll be you know, maybe almost a year since he, he will have beaten, uh, would have beaten Sean Porter. So um but you know he's fighting once a year, tw- you know twice a year anyway. So I guess it's not going to affect him all that much, and he's going to make a lot of money, obviously, for this fight.
2: Yeah, I can't see either one of them fighting anybody else at welterweight. That's for sure. I mean, like Spence is not going to fight Boots Ennis um, at welterweight. You know, Crawford's not going to fight Virgil Ortiz at welterweight. I feel like that's if that fight doesn't happen, one or both of those guys will move up and and look for different challenges at this point. But I hope you're right. I hope we're uh Still on track to get that fight because it is a massive event. It still does huge numbers on pay-per-view. It'll settle. They're still both very much in their prime, so it'll settle the question of who the best welterweight is. Um, simple as that. It's a legacy fight uh, for both guys. Uh, Keith, look forward to sitting side-by-side with you wow. for the second big fight in a row. This uh, Once again in New York City, from Barclays Center to MSG. If you want to walk down the street to my apartment, we can... Raise a glass afterwards, you know. We'll, let's make it <laughs> well, all happen, baby.
3: Ho- hopefully there won't be any gunfire or anything like that, uh, and, we'll, and oh God, we'll all be good no, to go, no, you know. No.
2: that was uh, I actually forgot about that briefly, but, uh, yeah, I never want that experience ever again like it was at Barclays Center for sure. No, absolutely uh, Keith,
3: we'll see you on Saturday, man. Sounds good, Chris. I'll see you then.
2: When we come back, this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about – Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired, and now, every Monday... Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Fight fans, take your best shot with $200 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. It doesn't matter if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out. New customers get an instant $200 in free bets on your first bet of $5. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Choose from the money line to the method of victory and so much more. To get your $200 in free bets, guaranteed, just sign up with the promo code BOXING on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. All right, time now for this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. And this week, I'm looking at that light heavyweight unification fight between Archer Beterbiev and Joe Smith. And as you just heard in my conversation with Keith Ideck, the odds for this fight are incredibly bizarre. Archer Betterbiev right now is at minus 1100. Joe Smith is at plus 600. They are treating Joe Smith over at FanDuel and many other places like a walkover opponent for Archer Betterbiev. And I think that is crazy. I think Joe Smith can not only win this fight, but he can win it in a decisive manner. I really believe that. Better BF is 37 years old, has been outboxed before, has probably never faced an opponent with the kind of power that Joe Smith has, and has probably never faced an opponent with the kind of chin that Joe Smith has. So, I am taking the upset in this one. I'm taking Joe Smith Jr. At plus 600, take Joe Smith to win this fight. Now, method of victory. This is a tricky one here. Joe Smith, by points or decision, is plus 1,400, which again is an insane number because Joe Smith has won decisions against top-level opponents before he won his title by decision. Before that, he beat Jesse Hart by decision. I think both these guys, even with the power that they have, I think this fight's going to go to the scorecards. I really do. I think it's rock'em, sock'em, robot for a while. I, they both get tired. I think it eventually goes to the scorecards. So I am taking the upset here. Joe Smith plus 600, Joe Smith, by decision, plus 1,400. Even if you don't believe me, these odds are so insane that you have to at least take a flyer on them. You have to. Joe Smith, the last time he was an underdog like this was against Jesse Hart in New Jersey, and Joe Smith dominated that fight. So take him once again. Joe Smith, by decision. Those are my picks brought to you by FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Ideck for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And next week, we'll be recording in San Antonio. Bam Rodriguez, Serisa Katzorong Vesai. That fight will take place next Saturday. And I will be with Sergio Mora, who will do this podcast.
1: Carol G. Juan Gabriel, Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common?